Coming up on the show, I've got Daryl DMC McDaniels from the legendary rap group Run DMC, and he's got some great stories to tell me, including the prized possession he had to sell in order to buy his turntables and start his rap career, the story behind their song with Aerosmith, the shocking family secret he found out later as an adult, and his thoughts on clean versus dirty rap and so much more. So please stay right there. This is crazy. It's surreal. Welcome to the show. Do you prefer Daryl or DMC or what do you, you have so many nicknames. I know you can call me Daryl. You can call me D. You can call me Daryl Mecca. You can call me DMC. <laughs> I love it. I you love can call me, me D. Call yeah, me tell D. me that you started writing rhymes as Easy D and then it was Run Change Your Name to DMC. Was that? No, no, the, no, no, no. No? What I started, I started writing rhymes as Easy D. I changed my I changed my name to DMC in high school because I heard uh, a, a, a live performance of the greatest hip hop group in the history of hip hop called the Cold Crush Four MCs from the Bronx, and they had this routine where they took Harry Chapin's "Cats in the Cradle" melody, "Cats in the Cradle in a Silver Spoon." Little boy blue and a man in the moon. And they, they did a routine, a rap routine about taking their names and using their initials. The initials oh. of my name are GMC. You can search all your life, but you'll never see a higher power body rocket in the galaxy. Um, the first and never last question name. Um, the grandmaster cast well hell. The initials of my name are JDL. I want to go to heaven before I go to hell and I'll be pushing more power than a Duracell. So when I heard that, because um, <laughs> he from Daryl, MC from McDaniels. Yeah. He, he was, my name is Daryl, and it's easy for D to write rhymes. But when I heard the Cold Crush routine, for me, hip hop was like, oh, shoot, you can tell stories about who you are over music. So by using my initials, I didn't have to be like super rapper, man. I could be Daryl. Yeah. So it was because of Grandmaster Kaz and the Cold Crush 4 MCs that ECD became DMC. Okay. Yeah. That, so like, cause it's interesting. You started out, rap was more of a hobby. You were more of a kid that was yes. in comic books and stuff like that. And I didn't yes. know this part of the story that you were bullied as a kid. I was bullied, teased, and picked off because number one, I got contacts in now, but number one, my glasses. Mm -hmm. My whole life was, hey, four eyes, hey, binoculars, hey, telescope. You know, kids would take my glasses and hide them. So that was one, you know, and, and I got teased, bullied, and picked off for my glasses until I was able to make rap songs talking about how proud I am of them. So that it got to the point where people that didn't even need glasses wanted to have glasses like me. But it was my, it was my glasses first. It was the fact that I went to Catholic school my whole life. Straight A student, always on an honor roll. And then the other thing was I was a geeky, nerdy kid that wore glasses who went to Catholic school who had comic books. So I had all of that going against me growing up. And it wasn't until rock and roll and hip hop empowered me to become the most powerful entity in this earthly universe. But yeah, I got teased, bullied, and picked on when I was a kid. Crazy. So is that part of your inspiration for uh, writing this, the book, the Daryl's Dream book? I haven't read it yet. It looks really cool. Yes. The cover looks really neat. 
Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah, yeah. I did the book for two reasons. Now, the only thing that changes, and I, and I tell kids this when I speak to them, the only thing that changes from generation to generation is technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have smartphones, you know, beepers and all of that. You know, for us to go get information, I had to go to the library and read the encyclopedia. I didn't have the internet and all of that. Right. But the situations that our young people, especially our children, go through are the same no matter what the generations is. And a lot of the problems, especially now we're in this mental health awareness age now, a lot of the problems with anxiety, self-esteem, and depression start when these kids are little, but nobody talks about those things. So I had to figure out how do I allow the kids to know two things. You're perfect just the way you are, your freckles, your red hair, your funny shoes, the clothes that you wear, the things that you like to read, the, you know, you like to put whipped cream on your hot dog. All of that is perfect, <laughs> regardless of what all the knuckleheads think. And the fact that you are who you are, that's the thing that will allow you to be successful. Don't change. Don't don't devalue yourself because you get of what the bullies say. So I had to figure out how to do that. So what we go through as adults, you know, our world is our family life, our home life, and our work environment. So I was like, how do I communicate what I've communicated with my generations for the last 40 years? Y'all know DMC from high school to two semesters of St. John's University to walking this way with Aerosmith and run in DMC and Jam Master J telling the world how tricky it is to survive. I realized my first rap was I'm DMC in the place to be. I go to St. John's University. But since kindergarten, I acquired all of this knowledge. After 12th grade, I'm going to straight to college. I realized I can tell stories about the DMC King of Rock Art when he was in kindergarten, when he was in third grade. What was it like when he was in sixth grade? So the book, I said, all right, let me put it in the scenario and the situations of our young people who, just like me and you, Chuck, go through it, they have anxiety, they have doubts, <clears throat> they have fears, they have confusion, but their world is their households, their backyards, their blocks, neighborhoods, classrooms, and schoolyards. So I said, let me take the king of rock guy that these young kids know about me. I've been around so long that grandmothers and grandfathers know about me. Let me take that same DMC that their parents and aunts and uncles think is so dynamic and put it in a scenario, not so they can see the greatness of DMC, so they can see the potential and greatness in themselves. I'm communicating with the young kids in an environment that they can understand. Right. Well, and that's so cool. Like with your story, I mean, you just uh, you wrote the raps as kind of a hobby and then was run the first one. I know he came over, he's playing basketball and he's yeah. like, Hey, well, I write raps too. And yeah. was he the first one to read your rhymes? Yes. And I was so mad. <laughs> really? Just for me, I forgot to hide my book. And, and that's another thing I teach the kids. Don't be ashamed of the thing that you like to do because yeah. somebody will notice it and propel you or direct you to where you're supposed to go. But in the beginning, the, it was all for me, Chuck. Yeah. For me to say and nobody, you know, you see me walking on a block. You didn't know I had the best rhymes at home. And I didn't know I had the best rhymes at home. It was just for me. 
But we was in the basement and um, I wrote all my rhymes, you know, the typical in the black and white notebook. Hmm. And I forgot to hide it when he came over to play basketball. And he picks it up and he goes, Daryl, you wrote all of this? And he was like, yo, this is really good. My brother is manager of Curtis Blow and who did, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. that was that was the um, the opportunity. Like, you know, there's always someone put here to get you where you're supposed to go. It always starts with somebody saying, you should come to, oh, hey, this is really good. You should. That was my moment right there. But even when he said that, I was like, yeah, whatever. He was like, this is really good. So he was like, when my brother lets me make a record. Now, that was the wrong thing to say to me. I don't do this. Daryl doesn't. Grandmaster Flash does this. Curtis Blow does. You do this. You and Russell, y'all do that for real. For me, this is make-believe. You know, it was like, I play with my G.I. Joe, but I'm not really going to fight the bad guys. Yeah, I play with my evil Knievel toy, but I'm not really jumping over the car. <laughs> but that showed me you can run. Showed me that you can do it. So that wow. was the moment where Run said, "I'm gonna put you in my girl." And you gotta understand what Run, he saw the business and the career and the genre of hip hop taking place in his living room. Like before Rappers Delight even came out, Russell was managing and promoting hip hop parties you know, in New York City. So Run saw the business. He saw the potential of what Rapper's Delight would set off being done right in his living room. So you had two different aspects that came together. You had the business aspect, and then you had the guy that just was doing it because he loved it. Mm-hmm. So that's why Run DMC was a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. He was prepared from all sides. It wasn't like we was both guys that love rap that had to be um, indoctrinated and directed into the music business Run and Russell, Run Run been rapping since he was 12 years old. On stage with Curtis Blow during the summertime, because he was a school kid. He wasn't okay. touring with Kurt during it. But in the summertime, Run was on stage with Curtis Blow and Flash and everything. So he was real time with the whole business and genre of hip hop. I'm a guy on the outside looking in, just doing it in my basement. But, yeah. um, you know, what you pretend to be, pre-10 is pre-something. But I had no idea what I was being prepared to do. So when did you decide? Because I read this part and this part is so crazy. So you decide that you're going to sell your comic books to buy mixers and, and records. And that immediately the first thing that came to mind was Kevin Smith, uh, you know, film director of Clerks and all that. He did. He sold his comic books to make movies. Well, I'm on your yeah. Instagram. You only follow seven people on Instagram. And one of them is Kevin Smith. Yes. So did you guys yes. bond over the story or? Yes. Well, when I put my comic book out four years ago, he was one of the first guys that wanted to introduce me and um, interview me and stuff like that. Because we had a Catholic school. We have a lot in common. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's the beautiful thing about it. A lot of things that we think is corny and worthless about us is actually the most valuable, powerful, connecting, universal, transformative thing. When I walked into... Um, the comic book um into comic book man interview at Kevin's um facility and studio, he just started crying. Really? Because he said, not only the music, like imagine loving the guy's music and then finding out you got all of this stuff in common with him. And the fact that you sold something that was for your comic. Comic was just the, the only thing in existence that was valuable to me. 
And my brother made me sell mine so we could get two turntables and a mixer so we could participate in this little hip hop thing that I had no idea would be worth me giving up all my comic books. But yeah. it's, it's those little things called, um, it's those little things that I call innovative, enthusiastic sacrifice because you're not doing it for a result. You're doing it for the goodness and joy of just doing it. So fortunately, it worked out for me. Yeah, And my brother, he was funny because it was more of the older kids that wanted to do the hip hop DJ thing. You know, I was still, I was younger, but it was, it it was my brother, Anthony Wallace and Booby Long. They wanted to get turntables so everybody could be like Grandmaster Flash and Cool Herc. You know what I'm saying? So me knowing, you know, you, you look up to what the older kids is doing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. I was, you know, I had no, I was naive and whatever, whatever. So, you know, first for first for me, it was the DJ thing. But the thing that I knew I had to do it is I want to tell stories over music like Stan Lee tells the stories in the comic books. <laughs> that was my motivation. So storytelling, coming up reading books and reading comic books prepared me to tell my stories on my records. I'm the king of rock. If you listen to all my raps, yeah. it's like you open in a book. Son oh, yeah. of Byford, brother yeah. of Al. Ben is my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's. Those brothers are Ronald's. I ran down my family <laughs> tree, my mother. Mom. Like, I, I'm so cool. I dissed McDonald's without making anybody mad, but people was getting the picture. So right. I've always been telling stories. So that's interesting. I, I never thought of that, but you're right. It's like that style of that eighties rap, like with the beastie boys too. It's, it was really yes. like telling these stories, the stories. That, that people would. Isn't it a story lyric. that we need to tell? It's like yeah. opening it up a book. Yeah. You know, say that. And, and the beautiful thing about it, it was real. You know, hip hop was about keeping it real. And even if you told a story that was shocking or, or, or um, 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 not as happy as our stories were, the message was always, there was always a moral to the story. You know, life is hard for me, I struggle, but you don't need to do that. That's the problem with hip hop today. We glorify and celebrate the things that we wrote against so that hip hop didn't have to become these things. Now, everything that we created hip hop to prevent is the content of all the music causing the young kids think to think, if I'm not that, I'm not cool. No, you don't need to be in a gang. You don't need to sell drugs. You don't need to say bad words. You can have ducklings, lollipops, and polka dots and crush the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me about, so tell me about your style um, that you guys, because was it Jam Master Jay that he was had the one that had the track suits and the hats? And then was it Russell Simmons that said, you guys should all dress like that? Right? No, no. What ha- happened, Russell was, t- as a manager, the, the perception is when you go into show business, you need sta- you need costumes, you need outfits yeah. for stage, which, which is true. Now, you got to understand, the first rappers like Grandmaster Flash and the Cold Crush and the Treacherous Street, Africa Mambata, they're magnificent. They're the best stories of hip hop to be told because they're the first. So they had no rappers to look up to. So when they got in the show business, their idols was the Rolling Stones, um, um, the Sex Pistols, and Parliament Funkadelic. So that's why the first rappers dressed up. But if they never got in the show business, they wore track suits and they wore sneakers. When we came in the show business, Russell, as the manager of, the, of a, a recording industry entity, is telling us, y'all need stage attire. 
So we like, yeah, but we're not wearing what Earth, Wind, and Fire wears. <laughs> we're not wearing what uh, Parliament Funkadelics wear. So we came as we were. And the power of doing that, it was Jam Master J who came out. Um, when we came to pick up Jay for the show, he came out with the Run DMC hat on, the track jacket, the black leaves, and the sneakers with no laces in it. So me and Run says, Russell, if you want us to wear an outfit, that's what we're going to start wearing. So me and Run, we started dressing like Jay was already dressing. Okay. <laughs> Jay had the flavor. And by us doing that, when you saw Run DMC, even though we were so dynamic, you didn't see celebrity. You saw yourself. You know what I'm saying? You saw yeah. how the other boys and girls in the neighborhood was dressing. Sneakers and track suits and gazelles. You know what I'm saying? But you guys so, were the first ones on MTV to do it. Yes. You brought that, that style that, that into changed, the limelight. That changed the world because MTV was significant in the success of hip hop. It put us all in everybody's living room in America. From Hollis to Hollywood. From Beverly Hills to, to Bensonhurst, all his hip hop in the living room. So the white kid, the Puerto Rican kid, the Asian kids, the black kids, all saw themselves amongst the great rock, soul, and funk artists and R&B singers of the world. It let us see possibility. Wow, I could be right next to Stevie. I could be right next to Mick Jagger. I could be right next to Prince. That was the game changer. When we got on MTV, in every parent's living room that had a misconception about what hip hop was. Cause in the beginning, hip hop was considered black ghetto music that only focused on what was wrong in the ghetto. Me and run, we changed all of that by rhyming about bad situations, but also good. You know, it's like that was you should have gone. We didn't say you was wrong for being in the game. We didn't say you was wrong for selling drugs, but we said you should have gone to school. You should have learned a trade. That's why you're laying in the bed where the bums had laid. We show, you know what I'm saying? We show alternatives. Yeah. We, we we created alternatives and we also gave opportunity. Right. And then you yeah. tour, you know, and you, like you said, you brought everyone together in a way. Cause like you played live aid and you toured with the red hot chili peppers. You're playing with rock acts and rap acts at the same time. Right. Well, they, that, that was because for me, when run put me in a group, my motivation was my motivation, my inspiration, which made my motivation was this 70s rock radio, 70s rock radio, 70s, 60s and 70s folk music. In New York City, it was the AM stations and it was 77 WABC here in New York City. And those stations were so beautiful because they played black and white music together. They would play the Stones, but then they would play Sly and the Family Stone. They would play Elton John, but then they would play James Brown. So I'm hearing all of it. I'm hearing Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell. I'm hearing Harry Chapin. I'm hearing Jim Croce, storytellers. I'm hearing the Beatles. I'm also hearing... Um, 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 the Beatles do in the town where I was born, lived the man who sailed to see all living. So 70s rock radio was beautiful. When I came into hip hop, everybody was only doing one thing. It was only sampling R&B, disco and funk. And I was like, man, all of those rap records, they got breaks and beats on them. So the thing that allowed Run DMC to change things before Walk This Way was by doing the song Rock Box. 
Yeah. Us, it was us rapping over rock music, not sampling it. We created our own. I mean, we didn't, the, 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 the real elements on Rockbox was the bass line, the actual rock guitar, and the keyboards. But the drum machine was the hip hop element. That was the mm-hmm. only thing that wasn't real. But we, we, we rapped over rock music because we used rock breakbeats when we was doing the block parties and the street parties. So we brought an element that existed, but nobody was using it yet. And that was the thing that made all the metal kids and all the punk rock kids and all the rock kids go, whoa, you know what I'm saying? And that's what made all the black kids go, whoa, we could do this? Like, we didn't, Run MC didn't wait for permission. We just <laughs> did it, and all the white kids and black kids loved it. Yeah, you must have influenced the Beastie Boys, because didn't they mm-hmm. start out as a punk rock band? And then yeah, they were a punk rock it. band. Uh, we, was, we, was working in, we was working in Chung King House of Metal. We was working in a studio where metal bands and um, um, rock bands was working on Slayer, Anthrax, a bunch of punk bands all in New York City, and Beastie Boys was a punk band at Chung King House of Metal. And one day this man named Rick, this dude named Rick Rubin sticks his head in and he just comes in and starts hanging with us. And Rick just asked Jay, yo, you think these three white Jewish punk rock kids can make a hip hop album? And Jay was like, why not? <laughs> a couple of weeks later, License to Ill was born. Wow. <laughs> so, you yeah. wrote a song on that, right? You co-wrote a song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We wrote uh, Paul Revere. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, because... And then he, he, don't they say they're the king of rock in that album? They stole that from you. You're the king of rock. Yeah, I'm the king of rock. There is none higher. There's many kings of rock. But <laughs> okay. I'm the king of rock. There is none higher. Sucker MC should call me sire. To Such burn my line. kingdom, you must use fire, but I won't stop rocking till I read it. Like, you can burn down my whole physical kingdom, but that's not stopping me from building another one. Yeah, so I didn't know this part because you talk about how you were grew up on 70s rock, but you actually didn't know who Aerosmith was and you were not oh, familiar no. with the Walk This Way song. Chris Rubin was the one that showed it to you, right? Well, no, no. We were familiar with the song. This is before Rick. We didn't need Rick to tell, tell us about great music. The, the Aerosmith song was a breakbeat and it was on the album, get the album with the toys on the cover and play number four. We didn't know the name of the record because number one, the DJ would never let the record play to the vocals. We didn't need mm. the vocals. It was okay. just a beat in the beginning so I could freestyle over it. And secondly, the DJs, every DJ from Cool Herc to, to um, um, DJ Jassy Jeff to this day, when you're using the vinyl records, you scratch off the, the, the label of the vinyl so the rival DJs don't see what beats you're playing. Mm. So Walk This Way was a breakbeat. Toys in the Attic album number four. We did not know. Me and Run never heard to sing it. So in the, in the beginning, we was going to sample the beat. We was going to sample the first few seconds of the record, loop it, and we was gonna, it was going to be me and Run rhyming about us. When Rick saw that we was using that music, he was like, hey, guys, the name of that band is Aerosmith. The name of the song is Walk This Way. And then he educated us on who Walk This Way is. Prior to that, we heard of Aerosmith, but we didn't know that who they were. I mean, because the groups that we knew at the time were the Stones, Led Zeppelin, and the Beatles and stuff like that. Walk This Way was a breakbeat that we used. So Rick says, do the record over. Me and Run said we're going to do it over the way we want to do it over. Rick said, no, 
do it over the way the band originally recorded it. So that's a problem. Because me and Ron was like, yo, we don't even know what the record sounds like because we never heard it as the first um, 30 seconds. So Rick was like, take the record home, let it play, learn the song, write the lyrics down, come back and do the record over. So at first, me and Ron thought we was going to just do the record over by ourselves. Rick took it a step higher and got the original band to come do their record over with them. That was the game changer. So yeah. even Steven Tyler, when Steven Tyler and Joe Perry came to the session, Jay showed them on the turntables what we used to do with their record. And Steve's first question is, when do you hear me? And Jay <laughs> said, that's just it. We never get to hear you because we can't rap over you singing. And Steve was like, wow. So Jam Master Jay actually taught Steven Tyler how to DJ. Wow. In the studio. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, yeah. so they were a little worried about doing the video because they were like, well, don't make us look stupid. But yeah. it was quite the opposite. You basically resurrected their career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to compliment them. Yeah. You know, we, 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 one of the things that's missing right now is giving props and paying honor and homage to whoever, everybody that makes it possible. We learned something from Aerosmith. If you sit down and watch the Aerosmith interview, or an Eric Clapton interview, or a Beatles interview, or a Led Zeppelin interview, these guys will say, our influence were Muddy Waters, Little Richard, they give props. So we knew we couldn't take all the glory for this rock, rap success. You know what I'm saying? Aerosmith made the music possible for us to say our raps over, which allowed us the opportunity to get on MTV and present who we were. You always learn and get it from somebody. So it was a thing where, and you know, at first me and Ron wasn't thinking that because the whole mentality of hip hop, sample the record and make it a new version of what's already made, which we did. But Rick said, no, it's not going to be, it's not going to impact people's spiritually unless they see us with the band that originally did it. Yeah, so it was, about, it was about giving them. And basically what that did was it let people see how powerful, even if they didn't think it, because my joke is, Aerosmith could have made a song with God, Jesus, and Moses, and nobody would have cared. No, no, it's God. Nope, we know it. It took Rundy and CNJ and Master J to get them back to where they were supposed to be. <laughs> right. Well, and that song, I mean, it's so popular and the accolades. I mean, it's like the there's MTV says like number five best video of all time. Did it yeah. mean more, the success mean more then at the time it happened? Or does it mean more now looking back and you go, wow. No, it means more now. Does it? For sure. I mean, for, for the corn limpus get rage against the machine, some 41 play. We created something that was, it was so much bigger than us. Mm -hmm. So it definitely means more now. Like, you know, when people say Run MC was a very inspirational group, they, we didn't just change music. We changed the interaction of white people and black people. We brought rock and rap together. Like we, Here's what I say. I've been to South Sudan. I've been to Moscow. I've been to Singapore. I've been all over the world. People, every time since 1986, everywhere I go, people always say, when Steven Tyler took the mic stand and knocked down the wall that was separating us in the video, it, it didn't just happen in the video. It happened in the world. So it definitely means more now. And, you know, even in this age of, um, you know, video and streaming and stuff like that, the kids that discover Run DMC songs on TikTok 
are so blown. And then they'll go watch the video and they'll be, yo, this is the cool. I love when kids say, why don't nobody do this now? Because nobody, yeah, Eminem, said, Eminem said, nobody will ever do what y'all did with this hip hop thing. Nobody's huh. doing it now. So the impact that we had when it was made will have that, that's a generational impact, will have that same effect now. Even kids that hate the OGs in the old school, they'll say, yo, this right here, why isn't nobody doing this now? And that's the beautiful thing. And, yeah. and people are doing it now, but they're not doing it. Well, like, that's well, the thing. Right. It's so weird. Like this is this is going to sound stupid, but I was watching that video. I haven't seen that video in a long time. I watched it last night. It the, the video holds and the song, everything holds up. I mean, it's amazing. But I honestly like I got a little teary eyed at the end because it's you. It's Steven Tyler. You guys have your arms around each other. And just yep. with all the shit in the world going on right now, I was like, yep. can we go back to that? Can we go back to yep. people just being happy together and no divisiveness? I was like, that yes. was so cool. Two totally different styles of music, totally different backgrounds, yep. you know, mashed together. And it, it was beautiful. It was, it was really cool. So I don't exactly, know. Like, I right. think somebody needs to cut. You guys maybe should do something else now. I don't know. <laughs> well, I got some new music coming out with some really, really great, great, magnificent. People. Is this the the Black All, Betty? Yes, the Black oh, Betty song. I can't wait for this. Featuring Sebastian Bach from Skid Row, yes, Mick Mars from Motley Crue, Travis Barker from Blink One Eighty Two, and um, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. Yeah, this sounds amazing. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait. It's, it's that thing that's going to make you smile, make you happy. And make you realize that it's up to us to create and fix the happiness that's needed, especially in this time of political, racial, and um, um, pandemic turmoil. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we needed those things. We needed yeah. those things. You know, I can't wait. Um, I got songs. Um, that's going to be on an album and a vinyl version of an album. Mm. On that same, along with that song, I got a song with Sammy Hager. Oh, really? I a, yeah, I got a song with Joan Jett. Damn. In addition to the Black Betty song with those guys, I got a song with Sammy Hager. I got a song with Joan Jett. And then I got a hip hop song featuring Bumpy Knuckles, DMC, DJ Jazzy Jeff, nice. Ice-T, and Chuck D. Republican. Wow. This yes. is like an all-star yeah. album. I can't. Yeah. Is this thing coming fun. out on May 31st? Well, I'm trying to get the single out on May 31st. Okay. And then right after that, we're going to drop the album, digital and vinyl. But like you said, it's the thing that makes you smile and yeah. say, life is good. We need those things right now. You know, everybody's against everybody now and this and that. And Randy MC, you know, me, I've always had that responsibility. I took it as a responsibility for me to artistically do those things without being so direct. You know, I've always talked about family. You know, when we made it my Adidas, you know, my Adidas was to remove the stereotypical um, identification from our young people. Like you'll see the young kid dressed in a track suit in Adidas suits, or you'll see the young kid with the gold chain on with the boom box. And the first thing you think he's a drug dealer. This is not good. He, he's playing his music really now, not knowing that kid was a college kid. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Right. I want to remove the stairs. So when I did Adidas, I didn't want, if you listen to my verse, I'm not talking about the material thing. I'm talking about the person in the sneaker. Don't judge a book by this cover. I got 10 pairs of fresh sneakers. I didn't rob, steal, or sell drugs to get them. I worked three jobs. Those are the stories that need to be told. So when I was coming up with my Adidas rhyme, I was like, my Adidas walk through concert doors 
roamed all over Coliseum floors. I'm not just in the park anymore. I'm not at the block party. My my culture is on stage doing the same thing the rock stars. Yeah. I stole music from us doing, but then I took it another part to give purpose and power, purpose and power of positivity. I stepped on stage at Live Aid, all the people who gave and the poor got paid. You know what I'm saying? So when Adidas saw that, this is the most powerful, positive thing in existence. Let's do something with those guys. That's kind of missing from our presentation. Uh, entertainment is entertainment. It's not about freedom of speech and censorship. You can do whatever you want. But a lot of stuff that we're allowing to dominate is not good for our growth as people. Especially right. the young ones. I wondered that because when I was a kid, um, I'll be honest, like I loved NWA and Two Life Crew and EV and all that stuff. I Because I think it was because it was like I wasn't supposed to listen to it. So that made yes. it more appealing. And I loved exactly. it. Exactly. And, um, you know, I just wondered what your thoughts on that, because you guys were typically more clean. Um, I think with mm-hmm. the, the down with the king, you got you got a little more of a tougher image and you drop the track suits and stuff like that. Um, but talk about that, because I love to have like the fun. I like the fun 80s rap, like the run DMCs and the Beastie Boys. Yes. Well, what, the, the reason why is this. Everybody can relate to poverty, crime and violence. Right. But you don't want to live in that 24 hours, seven days a week. Mm-mm. So the, the, the same way kid, people get shot, killed and go to jail. That happens in all the communities. You know, I got Asian friends and the stories they tell me about the stuff they do with their gangs. It's on the same, but nobody talks about. It. So we realized that it got to a point where the companies that's putting out a certain product, they realize, wow, 10 million people will buy this violent record. So they started forgetting about signing more Will Smiths, making songs parents can't understand. I don't care if it's a a young kid in the ghetto or a young kid in Beverly Hills, what do we got in common? Parents, peer pressure, I got a crush on my teacher. There are normal everyday universal themes that people are not utilizing to empower our cultures. So just like you said, NWA was good, Two Live was cruel. The problem was the labels forgot about signing more De La Souls and Tribe Called Quest and only signed NWA type groups just for the money, Mm. which is cool. And what I'm saying is this, in cinema, there's porno flicks and you got a whole spectrum all the way to Disney. We realize the power is in the middle. Nobody talks about what's going on in the middle to make the porno star and Bambi know we have something in common. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody focuses on yeah. that was run DMC's power. You know, I'm DMC with the same attitude. People talk about gangbanging and selling drugs. I came and talked about I go to St. John's University. So now the gangbanging the drugs saying I don't have to gangbang and sell drugs no more. I could go to school and still be as cool. See, that's the thing that people is missing. Um Ice-T said he came to a Run-DMC concert and saw the lights and saw us turning out coliseums and stuff, and he saw what was possible for himself. Hmm. That was the thing that Run-DMC represented. And, and the college kid is, in the college kid, in the gangbanger is the college kid. In the, in, in, in the drug dealer is the guy selling, um, owning multiple businesses. Mm-hmm. 
but nobody is using their artistic presentation to make that um, um, relevant to the individual. That's what Run DMC did. I got people to tell me, yo, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm on, um, I'm on, um, I'm Goldman Sachs. And it's because of Run DMC, BC Boys, Coochie Rap and Polo. <laughs> that inspired him. You, like, people need to forget hip hop doesn't just create rappers. Right. So now these kids, they look at social media, they see the success of the rapper, not knowing instead of being rapper, when you want to be the man that writes the check to the rapper, if I could write a check to the rapper, here's your $10 million for what you did. Imagine how much I got. Right. So Run DMC, we rep Christmas time. Like, I'm so gangster. I got a song about Christmas. That's that a great was, song, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and it was a couple of years ago where a journalist said, D, don't you know, prior to Christmas in Hollis, um, Christmas used to only be Nat King Cole and Ben Crosby. Now it's Nat King Cole, Ben Crosby, and Run DMC's Christmas <laughs> in Hollis every year. That's yeah. powerful. You know what I'm that's, saying? No, that's and, so true. You're right. We need yeah. more positive rap. I, I, I'm not saying, yeah. take, like you said, not take away the other stuff. Not at all. We just bring we in need, some more stuff, more fun stuff. Like, yeah, like and, and, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the, that. I love those st- albums when I was a kid. Parents can't yeah. understand. Everybody yeah. can relate to that. Every, see, that's what's missing from hip hop. Yeah. When, when, when we speak, when the, when the old school speaks, people get a misconception. We're not mad at what this generation is doing. They can do it. We're mad and hate them for what they're not doing. It's mm-hmm. a big difference. I right. love all these new guys, young this, young that, little bit. I'm mad at you for what you're not doing with that position. So that's why you can't really call what's going on hip-hop. Hip-hop is about owning up to the responsibility. There's an audience and there's a way to present your presentations. Now... If there's a guy with a hit record that rap, you got a hit rap song, he's just a guy with a hit rap song. It's not hip hop. If there's no DJ, it's not hip hop. It's just a guy rapping to a backing track. Right. Hip hop is turntables and purpose. I I can tell you my gangbanging drug dealing story, but my hit record is about not being a gangbanging drug dealer. That's hip hop. That's people, true. Yeah, because a lot of the yeah. people, the, these people are millionaires. They're not living the gangster lifestyle anymore. I mean, they're almost yeah, it's, it's, right. hip hop is about keeping it real yeah. and keeping it real is telling the kids. Yeah, I used to do it, but I don't do it no more. Right. So you shouldn't do it. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a big it's, 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 it's kind of like. Hip hop now. What's going on now should be a sub genre of hip hop so that the eternal inspirational motivational life-changing hip-hop they threw it away they don't they they, they, even the the companies that profit off our culture they don't talk about us like we're important because in reality what they're doing is not important to the hip-hop culture what they're doing is just show business anybody can be in show but that's why anybody can have a hip-hop record without even making a record of purpose so we run dmc realized that hard times spreading just like the flu that record could play right now because somebody said hard times should come out because of the pandemic what we made 40 years ago will always be relevant in people's lives as opposed to somebody with a successful hip-hop recording for the music industry that did something in a period in time 
You know what I'm saying? All, oh, yeah. Everything is irrelevant. But what hip hop did, the message is like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder. That's not just a message for people in the ghetto. Everybody on the face of the earth knows the struggle to survive. Don't push me because I'm close. I'm trying not to lose, but that's that's generationally relevant for that's something that people in, in, in Ukraine can relate to right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. that, those are the type of records and themes and content that is missing from 24-hour radio play on a... I, I don't like the stations that say, we're the station that love hip-hop. No, you don't. Because you're not playing no hip-hop songs that is saying, don't do what is on the playlist that you play 20 minutes in rotation every day for my young people to hear. You don't love hip-hop because you're not playing the other things that your audience, that's making y'all a rich radio station enterprise, you're not caring and catering to the needs of the people. You're only fulfilling your needs by playing one type of music over and over. And like I said, it's not about citizenship, but I can't call you hip hop because you are not being responsible. I yeah. remember Kek Harris once said, my first priority is to the audience. Then all this other stuff could be fun. You, this is really from. deep stuff. Like I, I heard you talking about how you know, you, it sounds like you're living your life more with purpose and thinking of the meaning and purpose behind things. And didn't you like go in this period where you were reading all these uh, metaphysical books and philosophy and Deepak, Deepak Chopra? Yeah, that, that's when I was going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah, it was a period in my life where I just woke up suicidal. What's the meaning of all this? Why am I DMC? Like, there's got to be more than just being the mighty king of rock. And I went into a deep depression. So, and, and the funny thing is everybody's looking at me, no, you're DMC. First to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover Rolling Stone, first with the sneaker deals, every like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but there's got to be something more and I couldn't put my finger on it. So the missing component to that was by going into the space and trying to figure out, there were, of course, some DMC, first to go gold, the king of rock, Daryl McDaniels from Hollis Queens, son of Byford, brother of Al, man is my mother, mother is my pal. The missing parts of my existence in this universe and my identity was I found out that I was adopted when right. I was 35 years old. So, you know, being DMC, fame and fortune and success, all of that is cool. But if you're not 100% content and happy with who you are, who was allowed to do all of these other things and forsake the responsibility and reason that comes with it, then what's the sense of being here? That spiritually and emotionally happened to me. It was almost, I grew up loving superheroes. And in a Spider-Man movie, what does Aunt May tell Peter? With great power comes great responsibility. So now I'm fortunate. I didn't die. I'm not in jail. And I didn't OD from all the coke and all the alcohol and all the drugs that I took. I'm here for a bigger reason. The king of rock was just to set up. Just like Aunt May told Spider-Man, the world needs a hero. The world needs an inspiration. What happened to Superman? Clark, sit down. There's something we need to tell you. Okay, Bob, um, you're not really from here, Clark. You have special power. You're, once you realize your purpose, then you become unbeatable. You know what I'm saying? So that happened to me. And as soon as I acknowledged my responsibility within all of this, that's when the comic book came out. I went back to my first love. That was set up for me. I had to be DMC to use this comic book love since I was a kid for a greater reason. In addition 
to my power. Like, imagine I had this power with Run DMC. Then all of a sudden, I lost my power because I stopped looking at the reason I got this power. Once I realized there's a big reason for that, the comic book came back to me. Now I'm even more powerful. Now I was doing a comic book, rock and roll and hip hop in my Adidas. It comes to find out, oh, I can do a kid's book, which is just the beginning. So now in this age of social media and political and racial and mental health confusion, I got all of these things that was given to me now because you know how powerful I was back in then, mm-hmm. but the world ain't seen nothing yet. So now it's going to go to the kids book. The kids book is going to turn into a, the kids book. Now Daryl's dream is just the first in a series of kids books. And then the kids book is going to turn into an animated show. Then that animated show could turn into an animated cartoon and so on and so forth. Now I started with imagination writing my rhyme for me, and then rhyme saw that it was good, so he forced me to share it with the world and then inspired and motivated others. So now I can take all of this, and instead of, look, instead of me going around touring, speaking about how bad hip-hop is, I don't got to do that. I'm the, I'm the reason why these guys are in those positions now to, to do what they're doing. But instead of me talking about what they ain't doing, it's up to me to just go do it. There you go. Yeah, no, that's you know what I'm yeah, and you you also you mentioned all the stuff you're doing. You forgot to mention the that you wrote another book in 2017, the Ten Ways Not to Commit oh. Suicide. That's really a great thing to do too. Right, right. Within that period of um, depressed and stuff like that, it came upon me. I was like, wow, there's probably a billion other people that feel like this. Maybe if I tell my story like I did on my records, maybe it'll help one person. So what I tried to do from the from the mental health um, perspective is um, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the greatest rapper in the world, whether you believe it or not. But here's a great rhyme. If you remove guilt and shame, you remove the pain. So a lot of people feel guilty and ashamed. I'm alcoholic. I'm anorexic. I'm a sex addict. I'm a gambling addict. I'm a meth addict. And also in our society, harmful behavior is celebrated. What I mean by that is, okay, you got a friend that can drink two cans of beer, but we celebrate the guy that can drink a hundred instead of saying, whoa, 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 whoa. When you get to 50, so, no, when you get to 10, something going on with you, something mentally is going but we, we celebrate harmful, destructive behavior like it's a victory, not realizing, you know, there's something wrong with that person's mental or emotional situation. So I realized the way people looked at me like, oh, hold on, hold on. DMC, the king of rock, was an alcoholic, suicidal, metaphysical, suicidal, spiritual wreck who was about to jump off a building, who found out that he was adopted at age 35. And then after that, J.M.S.T.J. got killed. Look at all of that trauma. And I'm with confidently, yup. So that person go, wow, if Daryl can admit it and then go get help, then it's if the King of Rock can do that, then it's okay for me. There again, purpose of why I'm DMC. Did you anyone, people, when you were going through that alcoholic phase, I know you said something like you were drinking a case of 40s a day. Yes, did anyone reach out and say, I'm worried about you? Or did no. they? No. Oh. Nope. Nope, they celebrated me. It was that was it made me cooler. You know what I'm saying? Wow. I got I had to get to the point where I got I had to realize Jack Daniels and Jim Beam and Johnny Walker, they ain't not my friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what I'm saying? You yeah. have to get to that point. And I, and I think that was fortunate for me because um, I got a, a song um, called The Light. And I say, I'm sick and tired of the pain and the hurt. I do this for Chester, Chris, and Kurt. Chester from Lincoln Park, mm-hmm. Chris Cornell, and Kurt Cobain. They mm-hmm. did what I was getting ready to do. I'm sick and tired of the pain and the hurt. I do this for Chester, Chris, and Kurt. Death is appealing, so with death I flirt. But when I tell the world how I'm feeling, they say I'm a jerk. I'm not bugging. I'm struggling. All this 40-ounce guzzling is puzzling. So I had to stop hanging with Jack and Jim to show you you can fight in a battle that we all can win. When I took it upon myself... and. Originally, I didn't know that that was possible. I got to keep it real. And I think that's what people like about my book. And when when I talk to people, I didn't know how to get help when I was going through all of it. The thing that saved me is when I found out that I was adopted and um, Sheila Jaffe, um, the co-founder of the Felix organization that we started for foster kids like us, she said to me, um, Aren't you curious about your birth mother? Because remember, my whole life, everybody in this universe, up until that point, everything the world knew about me is all I know about me. Christmas time, Hollis Creeds, my Adidas, Son of Byford, St. John's University. I didn't know I had this whole other part to my story. So when I found out that um, I was adopted, the catalyst to cause me to go get sober was that, okay, if I go search for my birth mother, I need to be of sound body and mind. Not knowing if that was possible. So I went to rehab to stop drinking, but it was in rehab where I discovered therapy. If I never went to rehab, I didn't know. The the shame in this is I'm DMC. I didn't know. And at the same time, like most dudes, you're thinking, I can't let nobody know I'm vulnerable. I can't let nobody I'm struggling help. So I'm fronting and I'm drinking to hide the very thing that I should be um, confronting. So when I went to rehab, I got sober, I discovered therapy, which allowed me to be able to proceed now. So everything happened, and fortunately, it took me to the places where it was necessary for me to be in order to succeed. The Mm -hmm. greatest thing that I have, forget the records, forget the Grammys, forget first to go gold, first to go platinum, all that the most successful thing that I've done to this day of state is stayed sober for 15 years. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. That's Crazy, really, yes. It's it's, and you say it's still hard. You, you want to drink right now, even. You badly. Yes. Badly. You just have to like channel that energy. The anxi- into- yeah. The anxiety, confusion. I'm nervous before I go on stage. I mean, 40, the, the forties used to help me. Let me take a sip of a 40 before on stage. Cause run, he was accustomed to that. You know, he was a show. He was in show business since he was 12 years old. He throws me in there and tells me, go out there and start the show. So I went from pretending I was Bruce Banner, turning to the Hulk on stage, to looking for something outside of me to get me through. And I talk about this in my book when I realized that all the comic books, all the stuff that people think ain't cool is the reason why I was able to change the world. And I'm able to take that and put it into the kids book, Daryl's Dream, because all the kids have a dream. But, you know, even as adults, we have a bad habit of throwing to the side what we really should be doing just to impress others. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's what's so cool about you being so open about this. Somebody can say, well, shit, if DMC went to therapy, maybe I can go. It's maybe exactly. not big of a deal. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I talk about that in a book. And one of the things that my therapist said got, got me through, if you listen to all my raps, this little geeky, nerdy kid that got teased and picked on because of his glasses, who when he rhymed about his glasses, made the glasses a cool part of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Imagine if I never rapped about hip hop. I mean, about my glasses. Right. So my, my therapist always said, if you look back, even before you didn't know you was adopted, all of your lyrics start with I am. I am the king of rock. I am the son of Bifred. I am DMC. I am the microphone master. I, everything that I said I am about, I became. Right. And then I got to the point is, OK, now what do I do with this? That's where the whole superhero thing comes in. Mm-hmm. And it's discovering, oh, you have a story before Hollis. I thought that Hollis, please, Hollis, 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 that's, which is a part of it. But then there's a whole, the reason why I did the search for my birth mother is a famous adoptee lady who wasn't a celebrity, but she's famous to all of us because she said this. She said, it's up to you. But the reason why an adoptee should, she didn't say have to. She said, the reason why an adoptee should search for their bio, biological parents, their birth parents is, you never start a book from chapter two. You don't buy a book and start reading from chapter So me and all of this stuff, even up to until my depression, the void in me was I was missing chapter one of my life. Now that I'm complete, I can really excel at what I was doing as Daryl McDaniels in order to be make this DMC stuff work. Yeah. So do you feel like you made peace with your birth mother and all that? Yeah, I got to meet her and I had Christmas with both mothers. It's the craziest oh. thing ever. Sitting there with my adopted mother and my birth mother it was mine. What was mother. her reaction? Did she know the whole time that, that you had become this famous rapper or did she have no, no idea? No, she didn't, she didn't know until I called her up on the phone and said who I am. She was like, oh, the funny thing is she said, run to you. She said, oh my God, I love that group. <laughs> <laughs> How crazy wow. is that, Chuck? Yeah, it was crazy. She was like, I love that group. Oh, my it's God. A, it's amazing. And, yeah. Sorry, and, then, and, and then she said, um, she said, I know you're dying to know why I gave you up. And I was like, that's an understatement. And she just hit me with these words, Chuck. I gave you up to give you a chance. Oh, oh right. Like, you get, I looked at my life and said, first to go. Well, that like, was a positive thing. Yeah. It wasn't exactly. anything to do with you. It was her issues. She couldn't yes. raise the kid at the time. It wasn't anything wrong with you. It was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to tell kids. Your situation doesn't define who you are. It's not because because at 35, I had all these questions. Why did my mother give me up? What's wrong with me? Why, 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 why? Mm-hmm. The simple line, she gave me up to give me a chance. Yeah. So you could be all right. That's and it worked. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, what, what happened in this Superman movie? His parents put him in a pot and shot him the earth before the world ended. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's exactly right. And then Sarah McLaughlin, she had a part in your, this whole thing, this whole story too, because you listen to that song Angel and it inspired you and then you meet her and then she t- she's a fan jumping. of you too. Yes. It, 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 the Angel record kept me from jumping in the midst. I mean, it, it was a period of four years and I'm going through this turmoil. What's going on? This and that. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. So what had happened in um, 90, I think it was 96, um, she had that song Angel, which was on a soundtrack of City of Angels with mm-hmm. uh, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. So there was just something about that song that resonated with me. And I would just listen to it 24 hours a day. 
Like I'm depressed and suicidal, but that was the, I wouldn't move. I would just, arms over for a whole year. Everybody thought that if they thought I was crazy, he's crazy. <laughs> All I would do, and this is when Jam Master J was alive, we still touring too. Yeah. So I would not get in the vehicle with them to go on tour unless they played Sarah McLaughlin songs. Wow. We're not playing that again. F you. We don't <laughs> care. I turn around and go back in the house. Wow. And, and my manager and running, yo, these guys say, okay, because they need D to get the money. Yeah. All right, D, we'll play it. So that was going on for one whole year. At the end of that year, uh, my publicist, Tracy Miller, who's still with me to this day, she's been with me since 83 when my first single on Profile Records. So my publicist and my manager, who's my best friend, Eric, they was like, keep D busy. Don't give him time to think suicide or whatever, whatever. So they, um, my manager got two tickets to go to Clive Davis Grammy party in um, L.A. So we get to the Clive Davis Grammy party and everybody's, I don't want to be there. I want to go back to my hotel room to listen to Sarah McLaughlin record. Guess who walks in? Sarah McLaughlin. And I'm like, wow. So I just went up to Miss McLaughlin. They say you're an angel. You're, you sound like an angel. The record's name Angel. But you're not an angel to me. You're God. You're my life saving. I listen to you every day. And I just, I let it all out in front of her. She was like, oh, okay. I just wanted to say hi. But um, <laughs> when I told her that, she was like, I love it's tricky. I love Walk This Way, which made, uh, I'm talking to myself, CD, even Sarah McLaughlin likes your record. That's the reason to stay alive. But then she just tells me, um, thank you for telling me that, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. Shakes my hand and walks away. Three years go by. Three whole years since that meeting in 97 and Sarah McLaughlin. Um, no, this 2000. Um, I, I find out that I'm adopted, so I call Sarah back up. Back 2000, I call Sarah, but 97, I met her. 2000, I call her back up, and I go, Miss McLaughlin, I want to make a record that's going to help people the way your record helped me, because I just found out that I was adopted. That was the missing piece of my identity, and I want to do a re- It's funny. I want to do a remake of Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle, so, and, but I'm going to put my life story there and talk about my parents. She says, cool, D, let's do it. So long story short, we make the record, and at the end of the recording, you got to understand, I hear the record, listen to it for a year, go to a party I didn't want to go to. I get to meet her. Three years go by. Now I'm back for, for making a record to do for people what a record did for me. She says, D, there's something I need to tell you. And I go, what? She goes, I was adopted too, and I did not know that. Crazy. Synchronicity. Yes, yes, exactly. And this was real funny. Just four years ago, I found out the record Angel was a record she wrote about a suicide. So imagine me, I'm suicidal, I hear the record. She wrote the song Angel about the Smashing Pumpkins keyboard player who killed himself. Oh, and I didn't, I didn't find that. that out until my therapist told me that. Okay, because his mom was blue when he. Yeah. Hey, you got to come in right now for a meeting. And I came in. He said, "I need to tell you something." Now you you met Sarah McLaughlin because of the record, and then you found out you didn't notice at the time you heard the record that she was adopted like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Mind blowing. This is going to blow your mind. I just found out that she wrote the record about suicide. So wow. her record had all the vibes and emotions I was going through. No wonder you connected with it. Yeah. Yeah. How crazy Here's a, is that that's a crazy story. I I do. I know you have to get going here soon, but I, I've always yeah. wanted to ask you this. Um, I was a big Beavis and Butthead fan. 
And you guys oh, had a song on the soundtrack. On the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, how did you record that with Mike Judge? Yeah, Bounce, I think it was called. Bounce, he came in, he did his vocals. It was in a studio. Um, this was in the 2000s, I think, or the 90s. Yeah, it was the, yeah. like it, the hip-hop had changed and stuff like that. Um, we, what was cool is we got called to do it because even though we were the OGs, we had, uh, we had a, we had an Aerosmith incident in our lives. In 1993, the album Down With The King, the title song Down With The King, produced by Pete Rock and CLP, Pete Rock, produced by Pete Rock and CL Smooth. The Down With The King song did for Run DMC what Aerosmith Walked This Way remake did for Aerosmith. Down with the King brought us back in the 90s. So now yeah. we're, we're the OGs. We're, we're, we're back on MTV with the video, at the Down with the King video. We're back on tour. We're back on the radio. We're back on the charts. So hip-hop was exploding. I mean, with the success of Limp Bizkit and Corn, like that whole thing. So they, when they was doing the album, first of all, it was like, we got to call Run DMC because Run DMC is the reason why hip hop is on MTV in the first place to be even talked about. But we were we had this whole new synergy with us. And then um, being fans of the show, like Beavis and Butthead was the coolest thing going on in that generation. Yeah, it was. Nothing cooler, you know. Beavis and Butthead was like our SpongeBob SquarePants. But, but that was the issue, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So when we got the call, it was like, wow. And I think the only thing that was different for us is the sound Jay chose to give us for the record bounce. Mm. Uh, we got the call. We got the, um, he's a huge fan. Like he, for him, you know, he geeked out. He geeked out. He was like, yo, this is great. All these other people are cool, but I got Run DMC on the sound. Jay, yo, I'm a huge fan. That's you know hilarious. It yeah, wasn't a thing so where they just, yeah, well, it wasn't a thing where they just, you know, the management told him, we think you should get Run DMC. He sincerely was mind blown. I've got to have Run DMC on it. That's amazing. So, um, yeah. now, and you have another movie coming out. What is it called? Treaty of a, is it a Treaty oh, of a treaty, treaty, treaty of a Sunder. Sunder. A Sunder, because okay. a Sunder means divided. Okay. One and two. What is so, this about? All right. Imagine if hip hop and Run DMC never existed. So this is a story about a character who um, was um, influential into success of a new music, who rose to heights in the entertainment industry above and beyond anybody's com um, comprehension. But this character is an alcoholic, suicidal, metaphysical, spiritual wreck who finds out he's adopted at a, a, a late age of life and his best friend gets killed. Mm. So when I was I was torn from my mother, but then I was reunited. You know what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. Asunder means so I was torn from my mother at birth, but I was given Bifrin and Banner. Then I went in at hip hop. Um, I lost my I lost my voice. I lost all my positions in hip hop. But then I was given that back. And then I found and reunited with my birth mother. So this isn't the story of DMC, but it is. Like my joke is, it's a biopic, but it's not because okay. you got to look at it from what if. Don't look at Daryl like the guy from DMC. Just look at Daryl as this character in this world in this story where all of this stuff happens. You know what I'm saying? So okay. it's about a little kid who becomes king of the world. And then all of that is torn away from him because 
he thought he knew who he was, like most of us do, but he had no idea who he really is. So it's a story about identity. It's a rock and roll. It's a rock, I call it more of a rock and roll than hip hop because I have a rock and roll attitude. I just utilize hip hop music. It's a rock and roll story about, um, um, I can't say, it's a rock and roll story about overcoming personal emotional adversity. That's okay. The, that's the elevator. Pitch. I look forward to that. Story. Yeah. Treaty yeah. of the Sunday. Yeah. Great stuff. And then um, I always end each episode with a charity and this is cool. I didn't know you actually started your own co-founded a charity in 2006 called the Felix organization. Felix, yeah. Felix organization.org for anybody that wants um, information. So what had happened when I found out that I was adopted, I didn't know any other adopted people around me. And everybody was like, suck it up, be by for the bandage, your mother and father. You got a perfect life. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, but you don't understand. So I've, I, I was fortunate to be introduced to another person who was adopted named Sheila Jaffe. She's a casting director out of Hollywood. Um, just to know how huge she is, she casts Sopranos and Entourage. Wow. So, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so she was a, she knew she was adopted. Her predicament was she was doing a search for her birth mother and father, but kept it in dead ends. So mm. we basically got together. And for me, that was like, it made me feel, oh, I'm not the only one, you know, because when you find out of something, you think you're the only one, but there's a billion other people like you. So when we got together, we said, well, she said we were fortunate to be adopted. What about all those kids, the orphans and the foster kids who might not never get adopted? Their situation shouldn't define who they are. So we said we're going to form the Felix organization so that we could give them life skills, directions, and recreational and educational opportunities. So we started a sleepaway camp, uh, a sleepaway camp mm -hmm. in the summer. It costs $500 to send one kid to camp for a week. So while they're at the camp, you know, it's nature, it's swimming, it's, you know, all the stuff that you, that makes camp, going away to Sleepingham so special. But while they're there, we say, what is it that you like to do? Oh, I like photography. So they'll get photography lessons mm. while they're there. What I like to do, I want to dance. So they'll get dance lessons. What I like to do, I want DJ lessons. So I got Jam Master J, son, uh, uh, TJ Mizell, Jam Master J, rest in peace. Jam Master Jason comes to give the kids DJ lessons. So whatever it is that the kids have career um, aspirations for, we give them an opportunity to experience that. In addition, you know, some of these kids never left the block. Mm. All they know is the hardships yeah. in New York City. Take them out to the nature, you know what I'm saying? But while they're there, we don't want to wait till they're 18 and 19 years old when they age out of the system. Mm -hmm. Start... Um, Start um, giving them opportunity and experience so that that kid, uh, we have one little girl that said, I want to be a journalist. I want to be like Oprah, who is now in college studying journalism. Oh, that's so cool. So we, we give them an opportunity. To, I want to be a doctor. We'll take them, you know, the hospitals are generous to left and let the kids come hang around and see what it is that doctors do. Because if you give it to them now, you know, when, when I was in high school, I graduated from Rice High School. It wasn't until 12th grade that the guidance counselor give you the sheet. They give you this big sheet and say, pick what you want to be. I was like, I don't know. I want to do comic books. As opposed to, you know, when you're, when, when you're you know, seventh and eighth grade, finding out what it is that like you do. I had, um, great, I had great teachers in elementary school who, I went to Catholic school. So 
a lot of times when I was reading the comic book in class, Mr. McDaniels bring that up here. Um, some of the teachers would take the comic book and never give it back. What mm. I had, um, which sister is there? She was like the mean nun. The mean nun in the Blues Brothers that whipped them with the yard yeah. when they came back. Those nuns really exist. We oh, have yeah. No, I grew up Catholic, too. Yeah, I know yeah. all about so it. So yeah. you always had the one nun that everybody. Sister Marion was mine, but yes. Wow. Yes. So mine was um, Sister Nazaire. But um, uh, Miss Florentino, Miss Green, Miss Regina, Sister Mary, and Sister Lucy, they would take my book during class, but they would give it back to me because they thought the fact that this kid is reading. That's good. It's making him a good student. If I take away his book, if I take away his comic book that he's reading, he's not going to want to read the textbook. Right. But as long as he gets to read his comic book, he's going to read the textbook. So yeah. we notice those things. Those are the things that we do while the kids are at camp being kids. Yeah. Let them be kids first, but then find out now what is it that you want to do. And lead us. Uh, the best we could do, um, the best we could do as mentors is point them in the right direction. Exactly. I encourage that. I love it. It's so inspirational. Obviously your music is inspirational, but this stuff, the work that you're doing with the books and the children's books and the charity stuff, it's just as inspirational to me. So thank you so much for doing this, Daryl. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, man. All right. Thank you so much to Daryl DMC McDaniels, the King of Rock, and also to his publicist, Tracy, for helping set this up. That was just a fun interview. Lots of great stories as well as insight from Daryl. Uh, His music is obviously inspirational, uh, but so is the work he's doing now with the books and the charity, and he just seems like a really, really good dude. So make sure to follow him on social media, and while you're there, please give me a follow as well and subscribe to the show wherever you watch or listen. I appreciate all your likes, shares, and comments with the show. It truly means the world to me. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and remember to shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon.